Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Jafar on from Barley, and we'll be learning about the business case, or the use case his prospects and customers use for Barley. So we're going to just jump right into it. Jafar, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Barley? Awesome. Thanks so much, William, for having me. Sure. So I'm Jafar Oinadi. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Barley. Uh, Barley is a compensation management platform that helps organizations structure, analyze, and manage their compensation while also being able to keep a pulse on shifting market trends. Compensation, a lot of folks don't know this, but compensation is where some of the most sophisticated spreadsheets exist, right? If you ever want to dig in, finance, obviously, they have some pretty sophisticated spreadsheets, of course. But Mm -hmm. in HR, HR, not as sophisticated until you get over to comp. And then it gets crazy, wacky, zany. Uh, And I know you've seen this just because of the folks, the customers that you deal with. So getting the practitioners out of Excel and into some sophisticated software that does Mm -hmm. all that stuff, but better. First of all, (laughs) how do you get them to move away from what's comfortable in Excel and what they know into something that's far better? but it's also something that they may not know as well. Yeah, for sure. I think you you hit at home in terms of what I'd consider the main quote-unquote competitor to a compensation solution is Google Sheets right, or Excel. Right. And I think there's two camps. There, there's In some cases, there's a sense of pride of this like really amazing spreadsheet that I right. built. And in other cases, there's a continuous frustration of, I hate Excel. I don't want to work <laughs> in another spreadsheet. And I think part of it really depends on what your role in the company is uh, and also your stage of your company. If you're more of an analyst type who is maybe a compensation analyst, you're going to love uh, having your spreadsheets. But with that, the challenge is who your end users are. And if your end users are the different people managers, you have HR generalists and HR business partners that are involved with compensation, they need to have something that's really intuitive and takes away the complexity and just shows them what they need to do with the right context. And at the end of the day, if you're working in compensation, it's still you're probably still going to be using some spreadsheets to do your own analysis. But once it comes to empowering the entire organization, it's really important to get into a simplified solution that reflects what people expect from modern day software. What's can, what's what do you see with your customers? What's comp tied to these days? Sorry, what, what's that? what's comp tied to in terms of the workflow of where does where does compensation data need to come from, mm-hmm. and where does it need to go to? Because I'm kind of looking at the what what used to be the kind of interconnectedness of okay, it's got to be tied to performance. In some ways, it's got to be tied to rewards and recognition or incentives. Yeah. It's got to be tied. Like, there's certain things that, at least historically, comp was like the glue that went to a lot of different people for different reasons. Yeah, I would say that pay for performance is still a predominant approach to right. compensation and making increases, as well as even developing like incentive plans and things like that. But you do see a trend of people trying to dissociate pay from performance because it can bias the performance management process itself. 
Right. So if you're a people manager and you really care deeply about your direct reports, you may be hesitant to give them a very real performance rating because you might know that if I give someone a underperforming rating, then they're going to get a worse salary increase. But the reality is that direct report actually needs the real talk and the performance management and the guidance. And so there is definitely a perspective and emerging trend of companies that focus more on paying towards market and making adjustments based on market shifts and then segmenting salary ranges into different developmental blocks or zones where you might have the first third of your band is for certain skills and attributes And then you have like your target range and then like a premium zone. So those are some of the things we see from like a evolution of how pay is tied. But from a system standpoint, compensation is typically living in the HRAS or the uh, human capital management system. And our goal as a solution is not to replace the HRAS. We do see that as the system of record for employee data, but rather what we do is we integrate with these systems to pull all that data And Barley then becomes the system of engagement and the workflow management system really on driving those compensation decisions and uh, getting out of all those spreadsheets, especially when there's one spreadsheet sent to every single people manager, where then they're breaking all these formulas and the formulas (laughs) don't work anymore. I don't understand. Why does it work? Oh, yeah. A number of things I I wanted to ask you as it relates to what you the, the good work that you do with Barley. The that we've seen over the last couple of years with remote. Mm-hmm. Now, I got into a little bit of hot water a while back when I wrote an okay. article for Indeed, basically advocating for getting rid of location-based pay. Okay. <laughs> and of course, Indeed then informed me that they're, everything's built around location-based for them. So that was not necessarily a great kind of thing for them. But basically what I was arguing at the time was do people want to live where they want to live, why are we using this kind of arcane model of buying skills that are similar, but that just because they live in different places, we pay for them differently. Now, I know that there's a lot more to it. I'm making real simplistic argument, but basically what have your customers been talking to you about how they've dealt with hybrid and remote and how Mm. how we looked at work differently? And obviously we're working at, we're looking at comp differently. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is a very sensitive topic. And I think the sensitivity gets emphasized, whether you're talking to employers or employees and candidates as well. And I think when it comes to location-based pay, our approach at Barley is that we can support whatever approach. But what we've been seeing predominantly happen is, let's speak on a country-by-country basis. Historically, if you're looking across the U.S., you had location-based pay that may have even gone down to the city. And so someone moved away from San Francisco and then moved to Sacramento even, they may have a different pay because those cities have different premiums or different costs of living. What we have seen with our customers is moving away from that level of granularity and rather having more of a national-based pay per country. And I think when it... Yeah. And so when it comes to location-based pay, I would say that you do see more and more organizations going specifically as well in tech companies that just have a national pay. And that national pay would be benchmarked across a specific region or across the entire country. But with that said, it, it is rare that a company would have what I consider 
a completely location agnostic pay. And what I mean by that is a global pay strategy where it's like, you'll pay someone in the UK the same as you'll pay in Argentina or Brazil. There are some organizations that advocate for that. And quite frankly, Barley can support that philosophy as well, as long as you look at pay under a single currency. So you're, what's great about that is you're flexible to whatever their strategy is. If their strategy Correct. is to, again, run it the way they want to run it, that then Barley can adapt to whatever they want. Yeah, um, and, I, and yeah, just but, sorry, one other point on location. Sure. I think at the end of the day, what shook people up when we first went into sort of more remote work when COVID first hit is people were implementing location-based strategies out of nowhere. Right. The, the employees who joined those organizations did not sign up for that philosophy and it was enforced on them. Right. But I think what's important now and what's great now is companies have an opportunity to document it and to share it. So when a candidate is looking to join a company, they know what they're signing up for. And so if they're signing up for a company that pays differently every city, they know that they're signing up for that. I love that. So you mentioned the word bias just a second ago, but it was in context with something else. But you're probably being asked a lot these days about bias, about about equity and pay equity biases and things like that. So what, first of all, I don't want to assume that. If I'm wrong about that, please, please correct me. But if so, what are you hearing from customers as it relates to comp? What are you hearing in terms of bias or how do we bridge the pay equity gap, et cetera? Yeah, I think that bias does exist. And I think the key thing about bias is part of it is systemic. It may It's not intentional. I think that's the one thing that's really important to note in a lot of cases. I think it comes down to even small behaviors and rules that you have to put in place. We're seeing more and more companies have a no negotiation rule that right. they're going to post their salary band from a pay transparency standpoint. And when they put in an offer, they don't negotiate that offer. It is what it is. Yeah. And one of the reasons why they would do that is because one gender may actually be more likely to negotiate and negotiate aggressively. And what's, sorry, go ahead. No, what's, I apologize for interrupting, but it's interesting. And you know this because of what you do. What does negotiation have to do with Java development? (laughs) In my case, demand generation. Like again, if it was, if you're being hired to negotiate, Again, like that's your job. Yeah. I could see to some degree your ability, skill, your skill level as a salesperson, like chief revenue officer. Yeah, I probably want to be that gal or that guy or whatever. I probably want them to be a pretty adept at negotiating. But outside of that, the 1%, what, why does it negotiate? Just historically, why have we allowed that? Why is that even a part of your buying skills, experience, potentiality? I think it makes sense that it's historically been there. And in a lot of cases, it will continue to be there is because the historical perspective is that employers are trying to get to, quote unquote, as you mentioned, buy skills for the lowest amount possible. And then the people providing the skills want to get the most. So there's an unequal balance. That- but, doesn't that just, but doesn't that just create inequity? They think like that? I, I, you're right. I know you're right. Um, it is. And that's, and quite <laughs> frankly, that's the power of the new pay transparency legislation, right. avoiding things like asking someone what they're currently making, because that creates an anchoring effect. All of these anchoring effects are like part of psychology and negotiations. And the goal of this legislation is to mitigate that. And so when organizations are transparent about their pay, not only do they have to share a band, 
but you also have to understand how to describe why someone might be at the bottom or the top. So there needs to be some form of justification in terms of building that trust. Pay equity is something you need to also be proactive about. At Barley, we provide in our platform a pay equity dashboard that shows Ooh, a breakdown. Tell me, tell me more about that. That's cool. Yeah. So we pull in all the different gender identities, whether it's men, women, mm-hmm. non-binary folks, right. and be able to see the distribution of pay across base salary, total comp, or even what the pay looks like across different job levels as well. Right. And so you can immediately see a few things. One, are people within similar roles getting paid differently? But also, do you is your company lopsided in terms of where higher paid employees are from a distribution standpoint of men versus women versus lower paying roles? And helping you be more intentional on in how you make those decisions. Those things are critical. And you mentioned customer stories. Something that I had not considered initially was the fact that negotiations even happen as part of a salary increase process. You, If you look at if you were to give an increase to a man and they're not happy with it, and let's say the increase was they were getting a 3% increase, there are times when they would negotiate to say, oh, I'm not happy with the 3%. I actually want six. But what they don't understand or what the, even the manager doesn't appreciate, that decision was intentional because maybe relative to them, they were trying to do an equity adjustment for a counterpart who is a woman. And so in them negotiating and the woman not, you're just reintroducing that pay equity inequity all over again. I think at the end of the day, it comes to better communication and using tools that have those guardrails. And that's a really big part of the use case for a solution and compensation is the comp management solution provides the guardrails and the warnings so that people stay within budget, but also staying within guideline to avoid any potential internal pay gaps. You you mentioned the dashboard and showing where they're where they're doing well and where there's opportunity. Has have any of your customers yet asked you if they can render that in a way publicly, like to their employees? Has anyone been that bold? Not <laughs> yet. Not yet. You know and what I'm saying? You know what I I'm do. saying though, right? Yeah, I think where we all want to strive is in a place where you can put your pay equity in front of the entire company and right. people knowing that you are doing right by them. I think the challenge comes to uh, what are you being transparent about? Like for us right now, our pay equity dashboards can go pretty granular and go down to understanding the gaps on an individual level. I do see that there could be a version of it that is more like, hey, this is how we're doing overall from a pay equity standpoint. But the challenge with pay equity is it's also one that requires a lot of context and education. So there's two ways to look at pay equity. One, there's what's considered the unadjusted pay gap, which is, hey, let's take the average pay for all the men at the company and all the women at the company, and let's see what the gap is. And let's say, for example, you did that analysis and your gap was that women were making 75 cents on the dollar. That is horrible. And But what that's communicating is it's horrible, not necessarily because two people in the same role are getting paid differently, it's horrible because your highest paid people may be men. That's right. That's but right. The other lens on pay equity is doing a more of a regression-based analysis to say, hey, this person has five years of experience and has an MBA and has been in the company for three years versus this person just started in the job and doesn't have an MBA and they have a pay gap. Then in that case, it's explainable due to these other factors and you can actually 
rationalize why someone may be having a bit of a pay gap and to take that into account. The point here that I'm making is in using pay equity software solutions, a lot of it comes down to education on what are the metrics that you're displaying and what are you trying to close out. For us at Barley, what we focus more on is the unadjusted gap. And the right. reason being is we focus on companies that are in the 100 to 1,000 employee range right. that don't have enough repeatability and roles to do that kind of more technical pay equity analysis. So one of the things that happened at the end of 20 is women were laid off and disproportionately African-American women were laid off. And the question I have for you about that is how do how should your customers use kind of the way that dashboard in terms of pay equity as mm-hmm. a lens in which if they're going to do a riff, if they're going to do and we can even use the positive, if they're going to do a huge promotion, et cetera, how should they be looking at comp data? And kind of those inequities or things that come up in the dashboard, how should they be using that to inform what they do? Yeah, to your point, we don't have anything in our platform that supports the decision-making process on a layoff mm-hmm. or a riff. In a way, there, there is such a thing as a more equitable riff. I appreciate where you're coming from there. And right. unfortunately, typically minority groups are disproportionately impacted with That's layoffs. Right. In terms of what we do today from a platform standpoint, we don't currently introduce gender data into or ethnicity data into the compensation review process right now, where you're able to make informed decisions is once the compensation review process is completed, then like the administrators, call it like the VP of people or the more senior people leaders would be able to see the decisions that were made and then see how much of that is placed on a for men versus women, on average, are men getting higher percent increases than women, and then being able to revisit the numbers before finalizing them. Okay, good. Buy side stuff. Let me ask you a couple of questions there. When you're sure. or your team showing barley to uh, to prospects for the first time, what's the what's that magical moment, that aha moment, where you get where you get to this part in the demo and they're going to be dazzled? Yeah, I think a lot of the pain and compensation is on workflow and configuration and management. When they go through our compensation review feature and they see that they can configure and set up a review cycle in a matter of minutes, that's when they're like, wow, we usually spend weeks getting this set up and different spreadsheets and guidance and analysis. And that's a huge lift, as well as the sigh of relief to know that Barley manages all the access and controls so that only the right people see the right data. That to them is like a big aha moment. In addition to that, we have a feature that we call Talent Pulse, which empowers recruiting teams to capture candidate salary expectations and then use that to build uh, basically another data set and the pulse of the market And that to them, they're like, oh, wow, like we used to capture this stuff in notes in our applicant tracking system, it all gets lost. And at times when there's a specific role where we don't have enough benchmarking data, that would be so valuable to understand what is the market sentiment that we can take into consideration when we set up our salary ranges. So what questions should practitioners be asking of Barlet, like buying questions? They're either coming off of some type of proprietary system, Excel, Google. Mm -hmm. What should, they're making this move. They've obviously been dazzled by the demo. What buying questions should they ask you? 
I think for me, one of the biggest things that anyone can be doing when they're evaluating any compensation solution is looking, I'd say, looking under the hood. And what I mean by that is asking questions on how the integrations work. How do you actually configure and import your data? How do you be able to configure a compensation cycle? It's really easy for me or for any solution to do a demonstration and just show them the end product or the end outcome. But it's the nitty gritty stuff is what bites you when you implement a solution like this. So for me, like I welcome those questions where people go deeper on, hey, can you show me how you set up location-based pay? What happens if I decide to pay for every single city? What happens if I change my mind? Like those are the questions that we love and welcome in evaluating just the robustness of our solution. Because one of the big value propositions that we provide is the configurability and the ease of configurability from a time and implementation standpoint. You could obviously with this group of people that you're serving, you could start this, you can stand this up pretty quickly. Exactly. Love that. Okay. Last question is kind of your favorite customer story without telling names or any of that type of stuff, but just a story where, you know, again, they kind of something that, that makes you remind you of why you built this, why you're here, why you're doing this. Yeah, a customer story that stands out is one of our early supporters. They actually helped in providing feedback and involving the platform. And a really cool moment was them using everything they helped to put together for the first time. And it was like this wow moment of they had used spreadsheets in the past and they've even used a compensation solution that was more of an add-on. So right. this is a thing that exists in some HR platforms. You can buy compensation as an add-on. Right. <laughs> the challenge with that is an add-on is usually an afterthought. Mm, and so always, almost always. Yes. Almost so they don't get the depth or the breadth of what they need. And sometimes it's extremely cumbersome to configure. And so when they used our compensation review feature for the first time, they were like, wow, this is like night and day from anything I've ever used. And it was just a sense of pride as well that their feedback was considered as part of what they're using every day. It's like a win-win and that we get to build a really great platform. And then they get to use a solution that not only solves their problem and drives ROI for their business, but they even have a sense of pride that they have the ability to influence that. And that's a big part for us right now is we really look at all of our customer relationships as partnerships. And I know it's cliche, but we literally do design sessions with them and get on calls. And that's a really big part of what we're doing right now, especially at our stage of our journey. Jobs Mike walks off stage. Jafar, thank you so much for coming on the Use Case Podcast. I love what you've built and are building, and it's super both useful and it helps everybody. So thank you so much. Thanks, William. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for everyone listening to the podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.